Welcome. We're here with Flan Through. With Liv and Les. It's time to talk some field hockey. Let's start talking hockey. And we are back. Hello, everyone. You are tuning into the fourth episode of Flat and Through. You are here with Liv and Les and three special guests today. We are super excited about today's episode because you are going to hear from three recent college grads. These three young women have used up all their NCAA eligibility. So let's just get that out of the way. (laughs) But a list of our three guests today are Emma Way, Emma Johns, who we will refer to as EJ, so it doesn't get too confusing for everyone, and Jenny Holmquist. Our three guests will compare and contrast their three collegiate experiences at each of their respective divisions, Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. We are going to cover a lot of ground in this episode, talking about in and out of season schedules, off the field opportunities like going abroad, and we're going to finish off with some takeaways from their respective student athlete experiences. All right. There's a lot to talk about. So let's get right into introducing these three young women. First, we have Emma Way, who is from central Pennsylvania. She played for the University of Michigan, a division one program graduating in 2019. So we actually missed each other by just a year, but I got to know her through camps and clinics. Emma was a captain her senior season and a very decorated player, multiple individual awards throughout her playing career and team conference, the Big Ten Conference championships. And most notably, she was Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year and Big Ten First Team, as well as an All-American her senior year. Emma also coached at Division I Quinnipiac while pursuing her master's degree. And currently she is on the USA developmental squad. Nice to meet everyone. I'm super excited to uh, be invited on here. So, and looking forward to hearing more um, from the other guests. Next up, we have Emma Johns, who we are going to once again refer to as EJ in this interview. So it doesn't get too confusing. She is from Massachusetts, right outside Boston. And she played at Division Three Middlebury College, graduated in the class of 2020 with me. So we graduated together and now actually are living together in New York City. She is a three-time conference and national championship player, and she played in every single game, but literally one, totaling 85 games throughout her four years at Middlebury and is now working in asset management. So much fun in New York City. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me guys. And last. We have Jenny Holmquist, who is from Maine, and that's how we got to know each other, coaching together in Maine. She played for American International College, aka AIC, a Division II program, and Jenny graduated in 2020. Jenny was a captain her senior season and a big-time contributor for her team on the field. She started and played every single game for three seasons. Currently, she is playing abroad and coaching in England while pursuing her master's. I'm so happy to be on here and learn about everybody else's experiences through college. So let's jump right into questions and we'll start with what were the main factors you were considering about a college or university when going through your recruiting process? I guess I'll start there. Um, I think for me, it was important to make sure, like, obviously I, I love to play the sport or else I wouldn't have chosen to play that in college. But for me, it was like, all right, let's, let's weigh the pros and cons. Let's just say we know that field hockey programs have this ability to be cut at any moment. I mean, we don't make any money for the school. So to me, immediately I was like, all right, if this program was cut, would I still enjoy my time at the school that I choose? yes or no. And that was what I looked at when I was being recruited. Now, I obviously love the sport, but I've also like to remove myself at the same time and have friends outside of the sport. So that was really important when I was in in high school looking at schools. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with that. I was looking at PT originally, physical therapy and AIC had like an amazing doctoral program and you got your doctorate in physical therapy in six years. 
Um, and so that was kind of what drew me there. And the same thing that Emma was saying is that if I wasn't able to play field hockey, would I still love this school? And I mean, in the long run, I ended up changing my major. But with field hockey, I think that I was looking to be close to home, but not close enough to home that I like had to, I had the ability to go home every weekend. So I wanted to stay in New England, but far enough away from home where like it was a trip to go home. Close enough so yeah, you could take your laundry, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Close enough where if I needed to take my laundry home, I could, but it wasn't like, an, I couldn't just go for a day trip. It would need to be something I would need to go like for the weekend. Um, I think in high school for me, I was playing lacrosse and field hockey and I was playing club lacrosse, but not club field hockey. So I was actually initially looking to play only lacrosse. And then as I kind of got further into my recruiting process, I it kind of like a light bulb went off my head. I was like, I can play both and not do division one for lacrosse. I can go D3 and play both. Um, and I thought that was like what drew me to division three and the ability to be on both teams. Um, and then I think something that I looked for specifically when I was going to the camps was kind of like how the girls interacted with each other. Cause I had heard like, I don't know. I mean, everyone hears horror stories of like, teams and the girls not getting along so I kind of was looking for teams that had that chemistry and obviously it's hard to actually tell like from what you're seeing and the actual dynamic like you could see something and it couldn't be true but I think that's something that I like to look for and I think it's important to know that the girls actually get along like off the field too and aren't just teammates but are friends and I thought that was something important I definitely like found that at Middlebury and it enhance my experience. So I thought that was important. Did you ever feel like there were any division two programs that would give you the opportunity to play both field hockey and lacrosse? I don't, in my experience, I, I didn't really look at division two. I'm not really sure why, like, I, I don't know why at the time I didn't, it was kind of just when I decided that I wanted to play both, it was just kind of a jump to division three and specifically the NESCAC is where I was focusing my energy on recruiting when I decided that I wanted to play both. For those like listening D2, the majority of athletes at my school were dual sport athletes. So it doesn't always necessarily have to be such a big jump from D1, one sport to D3, two sports. You do have the ability to do it at D2 because most of my friends um, did it. And I was looking at ice hockey and field hockey, but AIC didn't have ice hockey. So that wasn't an option for me, but it's definitely doable at the D2 level. Yeah, that was actually going to be my question. If you found that you had teammates or um, any friends Mm and Emma, I'm just going to like throw it out there. Did you have any teammates, friends playing two sports? I had a couple, um, but it was rare. I would say it was pretty rare. And the second sport for the most part was track because track runners and field track and field, both respectively kind of had their own practice schedule. So let's just say you were a volleyball player, but you're also a high jumper, which was very common, tall, both tall people. A lot of the time that same person could create their own schedule for their high jump practice and still be able to um, be involved in volleyball practice. So I wouldn't say it was common. Um, Very few people did it, especially team sports. I don't know a single person that did two team sports. Um, But in terms of like, being able to create your own schedule track was, was probably the the highest there. Yeah. I think this is a good transition to dive deeper into everyday life, I guess. Um, because right now we're talking D1, D2, D3, and basically acknowledging that D3, you have more time to maybe play two sports and even at D2 play two sports. And as Emma saying at, at the D1 level, it's super hard to play two sports, let alone two team sports. So why don't we dive a little bit into explaining kind of your everyday life in season and um, and then after we can move on to obviously your everyday life out of season. But let's start like in season. What is it looking like? At Middlebury, um, the your week is usually the same we'll have some midweek games but not that many um so it's usually practice um every day of the week um and it's always in the afternoon so and people will have late class so it's till like 4 15 those late classes so practice would usually start at 4 30 um 
and it was scheduled to go around 6.30 and would sometimes go later when we were practicing corners um, for a varying amount of time, um, depending on the game. Um, and then Fridays before games would look a little bit different. So we'd have scout um, before practice and then go out to practice, practice a lot of things that were on scout. It was kind of more of a walkthrough. And then most weekends we have double headers. So game Saturday, game Sunday, um, which are pretty tiring, but um, it's it, because it's such a short season, you have to pack the games in. So usually, and you, you, either they'll both be away or both be home most times. So um, you'll be on either on the bus the whole weekend, um, traveling from place to place or at home. And then after that, we'd have a Monday off and then continue the next week. But usually for the most part during the week, it's just that practice time that you're down at the field house and obviously before that if you don't have class you're in the training room getting ready but there's no other team time during the day I will say I, I definitely remember a week or two um like you said you didn't have many Tuesday games but when we did I remember this one stretch where it was literally Saturday Sunday Tuesday Saturday and that was probably the most exhausting week I think for both like athletes and coaches because it was like scouts and cutting film and then you guys are just switching your brain so quickly there was like not a lot of time to just be like I just need to like work on my hit today it was like no no, no we're, we're yeah. pressing outletting corners I think in season it's go 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 and you don't have that time to be like okay I want to work on my sweep or I want to work on this individually that's there's no time for practice time and if and we do have individuals with coaches so if you do want to do that you can do it on your own time but there's no practice time for that um it's all like very team oriented when we're doing things um in practice so at michigan once school starts which at michigan it starts um after labor day pretty early i would say so first week in september um we have pretty stable schedule practice every day of the week as my time went on the off day switched so it started off being on a Monday because normally we play Friday Saturday Friday Sunday games Friday being the harder game probably in the Big Ten Sunday being the out of conference game um, easier sometimes not as not easier but <laughs> um, we started off having Mondays as off days and then the head coach of Michigan was like let's just grind it out. Let's practice on Monday, Tuesday, and we'll have off on Wednesday. And so we were like, like for people that played a lot, it was kind of, it was, a, it was brutal. So you'd play every day and then have a game Friday, a game Sunday and have to come right back to practice on Monday after like a brutal weekend. So that, that part was hard. We had practice for, you never know how long it would go, three and a half, four hours. Like you said, the corner thing, those always took forever. And then off day on Wednesday, but always Friday, Sunday game, Friday would be in conference and Sunday would be out of conference. Um, and if we flew, we would sometimes leave Thursday morning. So it was advised to not take classes on Fridays. So a lot of the girls had a free schedule on Friday, no class. And if you did, had to do it on the road type thing. Um, it was never an issue for me, for my major. I, I found it the class part never really, I never had an issue with that. Never had to take a test on a road or anything like that. So um, I got lucky there, but yeah, that's, that's life at Michigan. What percentage of, of games would you say you got on a plane to go to instead of it being a bus ride? Um, I would say because we're in the Midwest, big 10, there's, so our limit I think is like seven hours in a bus. If it's over seven hours, we fly. Sometimes if our coaches were pissed, they would put us on a bus. Like sometimes <laughs> we're flying you guys on the bus. Like literally that has happened. And we one time we lost in the big 10 tournament and we flew there and had to drive home because they were so mad. So stuff like that happens. But I would say rule of thumb would be seven, eight hours. Um, anything further we're flying. So 75% of the season, maybe, I mean, not counting home games. So it's kind of hard, but a lot of our teams are on the East coast, which is over eight hours. So mm -hmm. think about it that way. That was a big difference between your time and my time because they added Maryland and Rutgers to the big 10. So those were two games that we never planned for. So we typically had like a, like we called them like two kind of like big trips 
And mm-hmm. I felt like it was always somewhere down south, aka UNC. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. we got like one trip out to California, um, Maine. We actually did Maine. But yeah, so it'd kind of be like a, a big trip. You know what I mean? And then for you guys, it became like a regular thing because of Rutgers in Maryland. Yeah. And even I've coached at Division One level too, by the way. So being able to realize the Michigan way of of in-season mentality is completely different across the board in division one level, like completely different. We basically are treated like a sport that makes money. So you think about it that way, like, like Leslie said, we did have a big trip. I went to California. We always, um, we, I forgot about this part too. In preseason, we'd play Wake Forest and UNC every year. So that was like a big 10 ACC challenge. So each team would host a different year. So that's more traveling because those schools are not close. Um, but yeah, I, we tried, we flew a lot, a lot of the time. So what about on field advantage in terms of, um, and I'll say, for example, I know at Middlebury, that field was shared. I don't know about you, Jenny, if your if your field was shared. Um, so talk about it to us, like how accessible was your facility? Could you guys just jump on the field at any time? At Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. Pretending I don't know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, um, yeah, anytime it was only ours, ours only. Um, it was built before I got there. So I, I was lucky brand new field, brand new locker room. And it was like a second home, like very comfortable. Um, no one used it. Like there would be no, you can't get in it unless you have codes and stuff. Don't be yeah. shy about it. It was a fingerprint. It was a literal, <laughs> yeah, it was a literal a, fingerprint. A, like I said, we were very lucky and <laughs> I've coached at a different, at, the, at division one and it was nothing like this. So it's, it's a very lucky situation over there. They have like the best facility, I think in the United States, field hockey wise, like it's very nice. Um, yeah. Very easy to use. Sometimes other teams would use it, but like just to like run on and we wouldn't even be in season. So it would be besides the fact, but rarely it would not be used by other, any other teams. And Jenny, I know you didn't get into your in-season schedule. So do you want to just jump into that really quickly? Yeah. So like with the field sharing thing, preseason and our season is like so stressful because like we share the team, the field with like up to 10 teams and two of those teams being like baseball and softball, because at D2, you have a fall and a spring season, no matter what sport you play in. So if in the fall or like early winter, when the turf field gets plowed off, um, baseball and softball are allowed to book the turf because they, we aren't allowed to shovel their field. So, cause it like ruins the ground. So our season is so stressful trying to find turf time and same with our preseason. In season, our game schedule so different than like what, EJ and Emma were saying is we either played on Wednesdays and Saturdays or sometimes Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So it like was like, oh, we always had mid, mid, a midweek game depending on like the season. Um, some weeks we would only play on Saturdays. It was always changing. Um, so it was like a lot different than what you guys would expect because we played like in the middle of the week, but then Sundays would be our off day. So our coaches rule some if she wanted to give us a day off after each game, but on days where we played Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, we just kind of like went through like a whole week and we didn't get a day off till Sunday, depending on like how our games like laid out that week. So it was a lot, but it Were, was were the times of your games different in the weekdays or were they like planned around class schedule? Um, it depended on where we were going. If we were traveling to St. Mike's, we always played them at like 2 p.m. So we'd leave at like 8 a.m. because it's like a long journey. Um, our Saturday games were either at noon or at 7 p.m. depending on who else was home that week. And we had to switch off with who had night games because it wasn't fair if like only soccer could play under the lights that are at the field. So we had to like alternate each week. So it was really all over the place, which is like hard because like you said, you, like Emma said, you don't want to schedule classes on Fridays, but you, at like my school, you just schedule and you hope that you don't have a class that only meets on Wednesdays because then you're missing the majority of your Wednesday classes. So yeah. you just kind of 
get your classes and hope that you don't miss. Yeah, I will say, yeah, that's one thing I noticed too, even coaching and playing at a divisional level, each program is completely different and how coaches want, want kids to schedule their classes. But I know at Michigan, if you scheduled a class during practice, like it was an issue. Like you had to probably switch that or if unless you, it was yeah. for your major, right? If it was for your major and you couldn't take it, if you were a senior, like that would probably be the only reason, mm-hmm. um, which it was like any, I never had an issue, but sometimes people got a lot of flack for, for scheduling it. My coach loved morning practices. So I would say majority of our practice took place at 6am. So we didn't really have oh, wow. the issue of, um, missing as many practices or having to leave early girls who had 8am classes would have to leave it like my coach never we our campus athletic campus to our main campus is like a five minute drive so you were not allowed to leave it unless there was it was 750 you had 10 minutes you could go and that was that was what you were allowed um but she loved morning practices and I mean in the long run I guess it is beneficial because you don't have girls missing. That's like the only time you can get like a full team together. And then we'd have like individual questions like later in the day, but 6am was the prime practice time for my coach. Um, I will say you're saying 750 for an 8am class. One of our team rules was you had to be showered for class. Mm -hmm. So girls, girls used to say, well, I need time to shower. So they leave like (laughs) That was actually in our handbook. It was, yeah. you have to shower between, really? like before class. You got to sit in the power tee. I always tell my athletes that. Oh, the power tee. The yeah. power tee. What is that? Where like you sit in the front row or up like the middle aisle, essentially. Wow. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. never heard of that. Oh, the power tee. I totally have said to you guys, the power tee. We it listen, was, Les. And, and, you know, and we listen. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> That's so weird. Because with us, it's like, you better get your 8 a.m. class on time. Like you don't have to shower. So, I mean, like, I do see Just why put on deodorant. Are- <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think, I think when looking back on it, I think a lot of girls would like leave and then go shower and then like be late to their 8am or would say they had an 8am and then would just like want to leave early. And I think so my coach has kind of said like 7.50, you better be in class. And she started to like walk the halls of our campus and stuff to make sure that girls were in class. <laughs> it became an issue. <laughs> at some point not me of course (laughs) I never scheduled any 8 a.m because it was so early not so early but I like to have time to like shower and decompress from practice so I didn't want to have an 8 a.m knowing that we would have 6 a.m practices because beneficial to decompress after practice when you guys were looking at at programs and divisions did you find that there were stigmas of like division one is athlete student I'm using air quotes there Mm -hmm versus like division three is, oh, it's not that good. Academics are everything. Um, like what were those kind of like stigmas and what were you guys looking at? Like I said, with coaching at a division one level, we, they, that coach didn't care if her kids left. Cause it was important yeah. when at Michigan, it was, you got a lot of hate almost not hate. I don't want to say they didn't a lot of hate. Yeah. Your, your, your academics cause they do, but it's like, they, ask a lot of questions like all right when else is it offered mm-hmm. almost as if we didn't look if we didn't look into that like yeah we've looked into that we understand like so yeah just to reiterate that that point so do you think it's less so the whole student before athlete or athlete before student or them being equal whatever do you guys think um and this is obviously from your own personal experiences and then what you hear from like friends or opponents or whatever do you think that can't be generalized across divisions or across conferences, or that's like really unique to each team. And and you have to like, when you're exploring schools, explore, what does this specific coach, like forget about division. What is this specific coach? What's her philosophy behind um, like academics versus field hockey? I think at AIC, one thing that's like really beneficial, like talking about labs and stuff is that um, our school is mainly a health science school so we have physical therapy occupational therapy we're really big into nursing um, a lot of biology classes so um, I think what I found with D2 is that um, I would from my personal experience I like to think that it's kind of a happy medium between the both because although academics is very important I think that we also take it's more that we put them kind of side by side and like not one should be like higher than the other um so 
I think when you like start getting recruited, I think there's definitely a stigma of like D3 and D1 and like selfishly, I'm like D2 kind of just like gets lost in the mix. Like we kind of just forget about D2. Like there's not very many division two schools. Um, but I think if you're trying to find like a balance, like just talking my personal experience, I think D2 is, was a really good balance for me because we took school seriously and athletics seriously and you had time to prioritize each one based on majors and practice times and stuff like that. I think um, like what you were saying, Liv, whether it's like you can kind of say like all D3 is academics about sports. I think that's really hard to generalize across um, the division or even even within the NESCAC. I, I can't really speak to other NESCAC schools, obviously. Um, but I think I even saw some differences within, I did play, so I played lacrosse for two years freshman sophomore year and field hockey all four um and I think I would even say I saw differences within those two teams of like the academics and like what classes you could take in season and neither of the coaches like ever said you can't take classes but there was a certain um like oh maybe you could take that lab like in the off season like if you have like the ability because obviously in D3 you're not doing anything in the off season you don't have a an alternate season so you do have a lot of free time in your off season so there is like the question like can you take that in the off season and then if not it's not questioned again and you have like every ability to take that class and if you need to come to practice late and that's completely fine and I don't we don't run into as many issues um I think just listening to the other stories of the divisions with like the traveling um and the practice times we don't run into as many issues because we have those like Saturday Sunday games and maybe like one I think like top four midweek games that you would be missing classes for so I think the field hockey and the academic time overlap less in my experience so you have like almost your full academic day until 4 30 to have your classes and then it's field hockey so it's more of a division between academic time and athletic time um, so it, takes, it makes it easier to book, like schedule your classes when you want them to be and gives you the freedom to book, book whatever classes you need. Let's jump into discussing out of season schedules, rules, et cetera. What did an out of season look like for each of you? Yeah, we're allowed, I think it's five competition games. Leslie, mm-hmm. do you remember? You get five um, play days. So within that play. day, you can like, either play one scrimmage or you can essentially play like a round robin tournament. Yeah. But Michigan doesn't really have a winter break. It starts right after the holiday. So the new year, I think we get back to school around January 3rd and we start that week. So it's like right off the bat, we're back into it. And hopefully we had finished some sometime around Thanksgiving if we made it that far. So pretty much a month off and then we're back into it. Slow start, I would say, at the beginning, we start at eight hours a week and barely any field hockey, a lot of individual work, positional work inside, and then strength conditioning takes up the majority. So I think it's like four hours strength and conditioning, conditioning, four hours stick and ball work for the first couple weeks until spring break, which is normally early as well, like mid-February, so like a month and a half. And then once we get back from spring break, it's 20 hours, almost like you're in season, like three hour practices. We're still lifting and running, which is not what we usually would do during season. We would never really condition. So in off season, it's a lot of running, at least an hour, like off season was pretty brutal. Um, so a lot of running. And then we had at least five competition days. So that could be like Leslie said, one game and that would count as a day, or it could be five games, which that could count as as day. So sometimes we do full field. Sometimes we do eight V eight just depends what teams have for their off season because seniors graduate. So they're not allowed to come back and play. So sometimes it'd be eight V eight. Sometimes it'd be 11 V 11, but yeah, we had that was towards the end of the of the spring. So probably around like May or April. So at Michigan or at any D one program. So your, your coach can be with you. Yeah. So it literally feels exactly like you're in season coach is there. 
but at the beginning it's eight hours only, which is like God's gift to us. (laughs) And then once spring break hits, everyone it's back to 20 hours a week. Um, usually not on the weekends for off season, unless there's a competition, but yeah. You can have somewhat of a social life. Yeah, you can be Somewhat. a normal student during that time. I definitely was a normal student during that time. Um, and then during the week would be normal, like you were in season, same thing. Yeah, so Division One and Division Two share that same eight-hour rule now, which has definitely evolved over time. It used to be six hours of strength conditioning and up to two hours of hockey. And now it's four hours of strength conditioning and up to four hours of hockey, which is definitely a nice change of pace, if you ask me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so coaches can decide how they want to split that up based on many factors, such as time and space available for in, in practice facilities and also based on team needs. Yeah, I think for us in off-season, we have the eight-hour rule. We start um, when we come back from winter break, too, but we don't come back until, like, the 18th of January. So we have, like, quite a long winter break. But um, when we come back, it's eight hours. But our eight hours is split up with six hours of conditioning and two hours of field hockey, stick, and ball work. Um, We'd practice normally, like, two days a week um, in the morning, 6 a.m. before school. Um, and then we did wait for three out, three days out of the week for an hour in the afternoon. Um, so the morning was usually a lot of strength and conditioning. Um, and then maybe we were lucky if we got like 30 minutes of that, two hours to do stick and ball, but a lot of like individual skill, like Emma was saying, it's a lot of like personalized, like independent skill work and like passing and stuff like that. Um, but mainly a lot of running a lot of running (laughs) and a lot of weights as well um but other than that it's basically the same as d1 i would say because then after spring break um we would go back for 20 hours a week um but we're only allowed three scrimmages or three days so we would play franklin pierce um one day and then we'd go back to franklin pierce for like a round robin tournament and then we would go to springfield college which is like right down the road from us for another play day but just to clarify for all of our listeners, Division Two moves from the eight hours to actually only 15 hours, whereas Division One moves from the eight hours to 20 hours. But, you know, I can totally see how 15 hours can feel like 20 because of all the time that's put into hockey that's not included in care hours, you know, like time spent in the training room before and after practice. And trust me, there were definitely times that, 20 hours of division one felt like 30, but, um, and it's also, I also believe it is five, five play days as well, but typically because of budget, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of division two schools are just doing like three days yeah. because that's what budget will allow because, mm-hmm. you know, buses aren't cheap. I think for AIC, um, I don't know if you guys have like ever looked at our roster, but we had, um, our freshman year, we had 23 girls. And then after that, we had between anywhere between 14 and 16 girls on our roster. So we never actually really got to take a bus unless it was at um, past a certain distance. We took vans, two vans, usually to split up the team um, because we didn't have a lot of girls. So conditioning was a big thing for us because we don't have the, like, the numbers. So you had a core group of people who played the whole game, every game, and never came out. Um, and then you had some people who rotated in and out, but we never really took a bus because fans were easier and our coaches drove, so they didn't have to pay anybody to drive. It was, it was not my favorite thing, um, especially after games. Especially if you lost, everyone's grumpy, you don't really have your own space, yeah, yeah. kind of all... The bus ride home after a loss is one of the worst things. I think that goes across all divisions. Yeah, 100%. There's a commonality right there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but if we were on buses or vans, my coach had a no phone rule. No phones, no texting, no social media, no nothing. And that was there and back. It didn't matter how long we were there. You could listen to music, but you couldn't be on your phone. Or anything. Wow. You could be on like a laptop to do schoolwork, <laughs> but other than that, no phones, no texting. Yep. 
It was very like Snapchatting. Did, I was like Snapchatting eight hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did not yeah. have that rule. <laughs> we yeah. had um, one weekend out of in the off season where it would be a retro road trip. It was Marsha's favorite thing in the world, and you <laughs> literally dropped your phone in a box on a Thursday afternoon and didn't get it back till Sunday when we got back to Michigan. Uh, it was terrible. I overslept <laughs> multiple times because you have to rely on your alarm clock in your hotel room or like front desk to call you. And I overslept. Front desk is just like calling literally a hundred rooms that morning. <laughs> and, and multiple times, like I would always rely on the front desk because alarm clocks, I don't really know how to work them. Like, and I'm not saying that in a way that like I'm young and don't know how to work alarm clocks. It, I just was afraid they wouldn't work. Like I don't know what someone said it to before. Like, so I just didn't mess with it. So I would rely on the front desk. And every time I was late, I was just like, yeah, they didn't call me. Like it was them. It was their <laughs> fault. Like, <laughs> but yeah, we wouldn't have phones. So the best part was like, if we ever had to go to dinner on our own, it's like, we would literally get a map from the hotel and like, you couldn't look up <laughs> restaurants. Like, so that, that was fun. That's my experience. With that. That's Other than so that, fun. That was, that was definitely after my time, but that's super fun. Um, I can hop back and just talk about D3, um, uh, the off season or Middlebury specifically. And speak specifically okay. to your conference because NESCAC yeah. is different than the rest of division three. You're right. Um, and I actually didn't ever participate in a off season. So correct me if I'm wrong, Olivia and Leslie, um, we get it. You never did a spring fitness test. I was doing (laughs) lacrosse and then I went abroad and then I was a senior. So I never did all that stuff, but for us there, there is a very, very limited off season. I would say, um, coach gives out a lifting and conditioning packets, um, and they're they're go at your own pace do on your own time coach isn't really tracking you she kind of has no way to track you obviously um you're assigned a lifting partner um an accountability partner um and you're supposed to go to the gym with them and lift but it's not at all team based um and then there is a spring fitness test that you are working up to throughout this spring um and coach that's the one thing coach is allowed to be at and all throughout the off season, she's not allowed to be, we're not allowed to have team. We're allowed to have team gatherings, um, but not with coach. Sorry. Yeah. It's a lot of like, um, like self accountability and, and yeah, it's and a lot of yeah. partners comes in and stuff, but it's a, and then sometimes like EJ kind of mentioned um, the team's allowed to get together and play indoors or play out on the field. Well, I think, it, and it's a lot of juniors taking accountability because the seniors have graduated. We don't have seniors. And then it's also hard. A lot of times juniors that are going to be seniors the next year are abroad. So it's a lot of only having sophomores and freshmen actually participating or juniors that didn't go abroad, which is usually a small number. I'd say a lot of juniors go abroad. So it's usually a very small group that's actually left for the off season. Um, so it's like small numbers. So when they are playing those games, um, it's definitely not a full team. Um, and it's like small games and then the conditioning. Um, but then there is that spring fitness test, which coach is allowed to be at. Um, and I'm not really, I'm not really sure if it's the same fitness test as the fall. It's not, um, and I mean, you can really tell does. you've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> I watched other people participate. I stood on the sidelines um, and actually, I think you did yeah. that one year. I think one year you like came and there well, was, I was, I think, yeah, I was in lacrosse season and I, so you I literally just stood on the like, sidelines. That, <laughs> that was so, um, everyone hates you in that yes. moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I was running a lot for lacrosse, so I don't think they could be mad. Um, but I was yeah, mad. So I, and coach, <laughs> coach like pays attention to those results and I think she will like have, like talk to people after if they didn't hit the goal whatever but it's not a big factor of going into next season and the off season is definitely very low-key and kind of what you make of it um, it's definitely like it's a lot of accountability on yourself to make the most of it if you want to put a lot of effort into that 
um, and get ready for next season. It's definitely on you, um, which I yeah, think did, is very. Ask if people actually showed up. Like if it's. Is um... it <laughs> yeah. So everything is yeah. optional volunteer. I think one year code optional. You were I doing just, that. No one can see. But no, my favorite new oh, word yeah, is volun- it's voluntold is my new favorite word. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find that people would get frustrated if like it was like an optional thing and not everybody was there? Yeah, I think the lifting and the conditioning wasn't a team thing. It was more like partners. Um, so I don't think it was as much. But I think when the play, when people were playing and um I don't know, like people would be like, oh, I have class. Like there were like a lot of times when not the whole team would show up. But I think it's also the reason why a lot of people choose D3 is because they want that freedom in the off season. So it's kind of a hard balance of being like, we did go to a division three school and we're not supposed to have like a really intense off season. Like people want to do other things and they're involved in other activities and they're like, so it's trying to balance having that team and playing and doing things in the off season, but also giving people that freedom that they wanted because they chose D3 and to do other activities and have other things outside field hockey. Which I think but, was very encouraged too. Like, it, yeah, like no, it I definitely think there were was. levels of it being like frustrating, like you said, when, when like four people show up and it's like, okay, how, are, how do we kind of play with four people? We're not going to be 2 but um or, or we would we would end up doing two v two, but <laughs> but really we are we were so encouraged, um, and and I can speak to Middlebury specific, but um, it was very encouraged to like go join this like club that is outside your comfort zone, and and you've been thinking about wanting to join and, and dedicate your time to that, um, and that was like very very accepted by coach and and also just like everyone on the team, yeah. So again, like the difference and it goes across conferences and and we've definitely touched on differences in conferences amongst each division and where NESCAC is unique is it is no contact with no playing contact with your coaches. Um, Everything's like captain led and and self-reliant, whereas the rest of division three actually gets on field time with their coaches. It's 16 days total. Included in those 16 days is one play day. So because my math is like really good, it's 15 practices and a play day, a competition day. Um, Chatting with some other coaches, you know, a lot plan to do three practices a week for five weeks once that warmer spring weather comes about. So still very minimal compared to a division one, division two program um, where it is very much more full-time student athlete um, this is a really good transition to talk a little bit more about off season and opportunities to go abroad. And EJ, you've hit on it a little bit of, yeah, it's pretty much encouraged, like go abroad, get that life experience, put yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, what about our other two divisions? Uh, so Jenny division two, Emma division one, what are those opportunities to do things outside of sport and the potential to go abroad? I mean, at AIC, I can't, I can't really speak for the rest of you two because I don't really, really know, but it wasn't really like talked about it. I see you didn't go abroad. Um, we are schools like 40 to 50% athletes. So at the D2 level, that's a fall and the spring season. Um, so you didn't really like have the opportunity to, um, and it wasn't something that was really talked about. Like that wasn't like what any of my friends who weren't athletes even thought of doing so it's interesting to see that like people do go abroad because it's like not like anything that like we've ever spoken about at our school and I don't know how it is across D2 but I'm sure it's pretty similar because of the fall and the spring season yeah division one I think is pretty um the same across the board in terms of you don't go abroad during fall and you don't go abroad during spring and I know at Michigan um, it's not like outwardly encouraged, but I know a lot of people that did it and you can do it, um, during our spring semester is actually starts in May. So when I say spring, I don't mean like the January to April, our spring is May to like end of June. So that's like a prime student athletes time to do whatever they want. There's nothing, 
um, or at least a fall student athlete. Fall student athletes prime time is May to middle of June. And that's when people went abroad or like did their own thing, didn't train. Like that was pretty much the break you got at the division one level. So I wouldn't say it was encouraged. You kind of had to seek it out on your own if you wanted to do it. And I know if you're in one of our biggest schools at Michigan, if you're in that school, it's required to take a language. So sometimes if you made it so far in language, like the last cut, last level of it, you could go abroad, obviously. And some people decided to do that. Some people did it for other reasons, but not encouraged. And it's more of you have to seek it out if you're interested in doing that. Is there anything like that the university or college offered that you felt like you didn't get to be a part of because of being a student athlete? Was there like a major? I know at a school like Michigan, it's really hard to be in the school of engineering because it's literally on a different campus. I don't yeah. really know many other clubs. I was clearly not involved. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna Student say, government. <laughs> not necessarily for me, but I know I had a teammate who was in our art school and was forced out multiple times by the dean in the art school. Um, Cause it's, it's kind of like a 50, 50 type program, like 50, 50% of the time you're an art student. And then 50% of the time you're a real student taking math and science and the normal classes. And I know she felt very pressured to get out of the art program and she ended up graduating from it, like, which is really hard as a student athlete at Michigan. So I didn't want to be in the art school. So not really referring to myself here, but um, it is, there are certain things at Michigan that are pretty impossible to do as a student athlete. And they let you know that when you're being recruited, like I was told it's pretty impossible to be a teacher. You have to get your hours in. It's pretty impossible to be a nurse. You have to get your clinicals in. So there's certain things that they let you know about that I know at other division schools, they pass by. They're like, you want to be a nurse? Okay, come here. Like still come. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out. But when I was being recruited by Michigan, it was like, you can't really do this. You can't really do this. Um, those aren't in the cards for you if you wanted to do them. Mm -hmm. I already mentioned that ASU was such a big health science like school so really there was nothing that you could take where our we were like no you can't do that like my t team was made up of like mainly like nurses physical therapies occupational therapists um I was human biology and um with that comes like with the spring season not being as intense for the first few weeks I was taking like three labs a week in the spring so you kind of had to like figure out like what was best for your schedule you could do it but it was um really hard you had to put in a lot of work and like definitely switch a lot of your classes around to make sure that you were meeting the requirements and like making sure that you got in everything you needed to get into so whether that's taking three labs of time or having to work like a night clinical or stuff like that but I don't think anything was ever like shunned upon that you couldn't do or like weren't allowed to do yeah, I think at Middlebury, nothing was off the table. We had, by the time I graduated, we had a lot of science majors um, on the team. With, then they were always doing labs, um, having late classes, and that was not at all frowned upon. I think we haven't touched on this, but like the sorority life um, was huge at Michigan. Um, so I know of a few girls who did it, ended up dropping because it was too much commitment. Um, but it is a huge part of Michigan culture. If you aren't a student athlete, some people wanted to do both. And it was, it was pretty impossible. I would say just having to meet all the requirements and be at all the events that they have, it, you could barely do it. Yeah. That's a really interesting point, Emma, that you bring up about what is important to a university or a college and, um, Greek life was a big part of the culture at Michigan. And that makes up a big percentage of the student body population. Um, whereas at some schools, a bigger population of the student body are actually student athletes. I think that's both true for you, Jenny, and, and you, EJ, where you guys were 30 to 40% of the student population. Whereas at Michigan, you know, we were like 1% of the student body population. Um, it, it's interesting to look at a school. What's the student body makeup in terms of the extracurriculars such as, you know, athletics, Greek life, intramural sports, clubs, um, who goes abroad, what percentage of people are in certain majors, XYZ. 
so yeah, you could just really see like what the majority or not majority of the student body is involved in. Yeah. And I, I, I'll add on to that. I think looking at the percentages and, and the breakdown of a student body, which you just mentioned can be extremely helpful and can be extremely important, you know, through the recruiting process. Um, will you be a part of a large percentage of the student body or will you be a part of a small percentage? And I think that aligns with the whole looking at big schools versus small schools. Like Leslie just said, you know, you were a part of a community that was one to 2% of the student body at Middlebury. I was involved in a community that was 30, 35, 40% of the student body. Mm -hmm. That's a dramatic difference. And, and for you, you wanted that walking around campus, not being familiar with the faces around you, um, but still finding yourself in, you know, that tight knit group of athletes and, and the field hockey team. But I really wanted to walk campus and, you know, no 95% of the people I was passing because a large portion of those kids were student athletes and people that I was around every day in the athletic center. And, and I think that looking at those percentages, you can, like you said, understand the passions that that student body has, um, what they spend their time doing. And do you see yourself fitting in, in that community, um, from what they're, you know, prioritizing or what they're, um, spending their really free time doing and engaging in. Yeah. I loved sitting in the diag, honestly, and just people watching all day. I found it to be the most exciting thing ever. <laughs> Walking at AIC, like you'll see, like you'll look into the quad and you'll know probably like 90% of the people who are walking through there. Like I, like only four people were in my major. So I knew like all of them. Like I had classes. I would hope you would know all four people. But like looking like in classes and stuff, like my largest was probably my freshman biology. And that's because it's required by like nursing, all the health sciences, but it was still only like maybe tops 50 people. Like that's how big it was. Like Em and I are like, um, try like 400 in the chem building. <laughs> yeah. So it's like so different, like, like being part of the student life, like having such big classes. Like I couldn't imagine being one student of 400 in a, like in a lecture. Like I was like one of 10 in most of my classes. You never got called on. And that was the best part. <laughs> yeah. You could, there was nobody to hide behind at my school. <laughs> I did like, I get I get the small school, big school, because like I said, I coached at Quinnipiac and I also got my master's there. So I understand even like coming from such a huge school and then going to such a small school where you can look in the quad and know everyone. I wasn't at that point considering I only did my master's there, but like I was there for a year and a half and I knew everyone's name in my program. There was 12 of us. And I was like, this is unheard of. Like I've never had this much attention from teachers, Michigan, like if you were to ask me, my favorite teacher at Michigan to write me a letter of recommendation, I would be lost. I, I don't know. Like, it's really hard because it's not very consistent. There's so many, but at Quinnipiac, I was there for one year and I have five that I know really well. So they're so like, just what we've been going through this entire time. There's great things about every type of school and every, at every level. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a huge part of your process going from high school to college is like, what, what do I want? And, and you guys all kind of hit on that important part of like, would I want to be there if I wasn't a student athlete? Mm -hmm. And that's so important. I do think that we've been talking a lot, obviously, I mean, this whole conversation about what it's like to be an athlete, what your average day looks like, what out of season looks like. This doesn't even need to be said. We can all agree that like all of the pros that we got from being a student athlete outweighed all of those negatives. And I do want to end with kind of that on a positive note and maybe saying one or two things that you're like, you know, what? but if I wasn't a student athlete, I wouldn't have had this experience or learned this lesson or um, something along those lines. I think this is so cliche to say, but it's like the adversity piece, like every single one of you said we didn't have a consistent practice schedule we had to schedule classes when this was happening i had to shovel the field in negative degree weather it's like things that you would have never had to deal with 
if it weren't for being a student athlete, but you still did it anyways. And now we're all removed from the sport. And it's like, well, there's really nothing we can't do because all that was kind of shitty. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but <laughs> some parts were really bad. And like, at the time you're like, this really stinks. And you look back and you laugh about it, but it's like the adversity piece. Now, you know, that like I can climb whatever. And I think it would, it would be fine. I would come out alive. Yeah. I think like reiterating what Emma said, I think like as cliche as it sounds like I wouldn't, like I found my best friends that like, I know that like will support me and like a great support system, like through not only just my teammates and coaches, but like the other coaching staff and all the like professors and stuff and a lot of time management skills that I think I benefited from. Um, maybe if I wasn't a student athlete, I wouldn't be getting up for classes as much or like taking my homework as seriously or like just basic time management skills and like the adversity of like just kind of being able to like go with the flow and like take it day by day and not have to like worry about like stressing out like a whole month's plan of stuff. And I think that that's something that I really benefited from by playing a sport in college. Yeah, I think I would definitely reiterate those points. And then I think just like we were talking about some of the things you give up and like the hard parts of being a student athlete. But I think now having graduated and being in corporate America and being a little like 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 just a little monkey plugging numbers into Excel all day like looking back and like thinking about my favorite moments like on the field and playing with my like my best friends and like having those moments that like you've never been happier like scoring that goal in overtime and like winning like I always think about like winning that NESCAC championship our senior year like that will always be one of my favorite memories and like I would I wouldn't give that up for like any of the hard moments and I think those moments are the ones I mean I I don't remember any of the hard moments like I don't remember running the fitness test I don't remember the double sessions that like were super hard like I only remember those like great moments and I think that's like was the greatest part of being a student athlete for me is that you come away with like those fantastic memories that you made with your friends and those are the things that you'll remember. I was just gonna say to all three of you if you could go back and do it again same way maybe same same but a little different or I would completely change my experience I think I'd probably do it pretty similarly I don't think I would want to change like much of it like looking back I would probably want to like go to the same school do the same thing same division I think everybody's experiences is different like obviously listening to EJ and Emma but I think I was very content and very happy with where I was and the experiences I made. Um, And I don't think that I would change it for a different school or a different division. Yeah, I would, as brutal as it sounds to have to redo it all. (laughs) (laughs) Is your body like shaking just thinking about it? I'm just thinking about running. Hands are sweating. (laughs) Like, the feeling of like going to poop your pants after a run test, like, oh God. But I would do it again and I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change a single thing and I would do it again. Yeah, I would do it again. I don't think I would change anything. I think, I think the only thing I would change is knowing that, I mean, like everyone says this and they'll say it to you a hundred times and you'll never believe them, but like it goes by in the blink of an eye. And I feel like when you're in it, you're like, yeah, no. And like, you feel like it's taking forever sometimes during the hard parts, but it really does. And I think I would just go back and try to make it last longer somehow. (laughs) All right. Um, We have a bonus question that we did not give you guys. So (laughs) this is going to be, and and you can take a few seconds to think about it. So, you know, like softball, they have a walkout song when they go up to, to bat we'll call it a goal scoring song. So if you could have a goal scoring song, it would be played right after you scored a goal. What song would it be? I already know mine. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, just cause I think about this a lot with like baseball and one, I would be like, Oh, what would mine be? <laughs> I would choose waves by Kanye West. Okay. There's a little bit of a backstory, but I think for me, it would be this song called Freaks and it's by Timmy Trumpet. And before every game, like that would be our hype song, like in the locker room. And it would like, 
just like hype hype us up so much it's like not a lot of words and a lot of banging on lockers like don't ask me why we had pool noodles in the locker room I'll never know we never used them but like banging them on walls and I think that would definitely be my goal song because it just like used to hype me up so much I think Olivia correct me if I'm wrong but we did we can't stop senior year for the song senior year Miley Cyrus I think that would be mine I think Miley gives good energy. (laughs) We want to thank Emma, EJ, and Jenny for chatting with us today and sharing their respective collegiate experiences. We actually recorded for two hours and shared a lot of laughs and memories. This was just a glimpse into the similarities and differences of collegiate divisions, and we really look forward to diving into this topic more with others in the future. Next episode, we chat with Catherine Bowie, head coach at Wilkes University and former club coach about club field hockey and how PSAs can best utilize club and their coaches through the recruiting process so that they feel empowered, prepared, and supported. If you like what you're hearing, please go rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at flat and through THRU. And feel free to DM us about any topics of conversation you are hoping to hear about. Lastly, go follow us on whatever platform you are getting your podcasts on. And we look forward to being back with you on April 20th. See you then. See you later, alligators.